Welcome in, everybody. It's time for another episode of What's New at the Zoo with Jim Bartu. I love that your name rhymes with zoo. Yeah, I didn't change it officially either. <laughs> it's uh, just kind of came out that way. It's not, not kind of a Dr. Seuss obsession. It's just kind of, that's how my name is. Yeah. Jim Bartu along with me, Devin O'Day. And we have got so many things happening at the zoo this month. And one is coming to a close, and if you don't have it, we're squeezing all the juice out of the Zoo Illumination Orange. That's right. Yeah, now that kids are back in school, we've moved to a Thursday through Sunday um, opening for this. So 5 to 9 um, at night, Zoo closes at 4 o'clock, and then we reopen at 5 o'clock and run till 9 o'clock. If you have not been to Zoo Illumination, these are massive lanterns that were made by a company out of Zagong, China. They're beautiful. They're made out of um, wire and silk, and they're lit from within. They're beautiful. They're colorful. Plenty of time for you to kind of walk around and see this beautiful experience before it disappears on February 4th. It really is great. We all had our Fitbits on and whatever. It, uh, we, we got almost our 10,000 steps in. Yeah, um, yes. If you have spent, a, if you were a little excessive during the holidays, like I was, um, and it's time to kind of get out and, and re experience that healthy side of you, this is a good way to do it. It's at night, it's lots of great walking, plenty of stuff to see, great way to engage with your family or a date or somebody that you just care about, you want to be around for a little bit, this is a great way to get out and do something a little bit different. Well, speaking of dates, too, the Nashville Zoo is a perfect first date. I mean, it, we're going into our season of love, our month of love, and the Nashville Zoo is a perfect place for that first date. I cannot tell you how many people contact us and say, I had my first date out here, I'm going to propose to her this weekend, just wanted you guys to know. And a, a, a lot of times we'll say, oh, thanks for letting us know where you're going to be, what time you're going to be, so we can try to do something special. We can't always do that, but sometimes we can, right, and do I something a little special for that. But we love the fact that we're a part of people's milestones in their mm -hmm. lives, right? That's just so important for us to be part of the community. Speaking of milestones, when it comes to football and pro football, this is the month, this is the time for it coming up for the Super Bowl, but you also have Super Bowl at the Nashville Zoo. So that's right. Yeah, yeah we, so that's we, we spell it S-O-U-P as in like, <laughs> let's eat some. Okay, so it, it's, a, it's a can drive. So the, the Friday and Saturday leading into Super Bowl Sunday, we are offering uh, a food drive, um, non-perishable goods. Um, for you to be able to bring out here uh, and we're adding into that as an incentive we're giving some tickets away for you to come back to the zoo um, anytime you want before May 1st so you get some comp tickets in turn in return for donating some food uh, just come on out make sure it's non-perishable goods all of it goes to second harvest so um, it's another way for us to be able to help out the community and that is February 9th and 10th but the next Day, the 11th is the Puppy Bowl. That's yes. my thing. Yes. This is a brand new event for us. We're going to try this this year. Um, we're um, partnering with National Humane Association. Uh, we're going to have some adoptions on site. We'll have some, some dogs, probably some cats out here as well that people might be able to adopt. And we're going to try to create you know, the same kind of situation that you might see on TV where we have a field where the dogs can 
kind of move a ball back and forth or not. You know, we're not really quite sure. We, we haven't really trained these dogs to play football, so we're not really quite sure how official this is going to be. But we're going to give it a they're shot. Not, they're just puppies. It's going to be fun. It's a great yeah. way to get outside before you sit down and watch the game because we know what's going to happen when you sit down and watch the game. The chips come out. The pretzels come out. All that cheese. You know, you just got to get up and move around a little bit before you sit down and do that. So the Puppy Bowl, it, it is fantastic, partnering with Nashville Humane, mm -hmm. and you find out during the cabin months is a perfect time to get that little one. You that, might, yeah, you might wind friend. up going home with, with, with that special someone. Mm -hmm. That's really awesome. Well, I know there's a group of girls that they have been a Shelly at our office, at our Wilson Post office. She has got a group that she has been doing. A, they want to do a 5K. They want to run. Oh, good. They want to run. They get to be part of Zoo Run Run. That's Guess right. Guess what? It's coming up. That's right. And again, it comes right at that time of year. You know, you make that New Year's resolution. I'm going to get in shape this year. I'm going to be a little fit. Well, February 17th, 5K through the zoo. You don't have to run it. You can walk it. Yeah, you can bring, these girls you can bring your kid out in a stroller and push the stroller out. There's lots of different ways you can do this. It's all over the zoo, including some areas that are behind the scenes that you get to see out while you're out here. We do have some animals that are out, depending on the weather that day, because February 17th, it could be 70 or it could be 12. Uh, it starts and ends in Festival Field. We'll have a lot of music and different things that are going on inside the field as well. So it's a nice day to be able to come out and enjoy that. How do they get uh, registered for this? Everything is at our website, nashvillezoo.org. And we are a nonprofit, so .org is what you want to tag onto the end of that. stands for org, like organization. <laughs> right. It makes, it makes us a 501c3. Um, so a lot of people don't know that the zoo is a nonprofit organization. You can donate to the zoo and write mm -hmm. it off on your taxes. So um, there's lots of great ways to support us. And, and coming to the 5K is one. I love it. If you're looking for your February 5K, Zoo Run Run is your bed. That's right. You know, we are sitting right now in, right in front of the corals, the Coral Conservation Lab, and yeah. we're going to, I didn't even know you had one of these because it's not open to the public. No, it's not. This is, we're in the lobby of the um, uh, HCA Healthcare Veterinary Center, uh, and so this is not on exhibit. People can do this as a backstage pass. But one of the things that we have here is a coral arc, because basically what we've done is we've saved these corals from a disease that was wiping them out on the Florida coastline. And up next, uh, we have Chad coming in that's going to tell us all about that program. We're going to find out the connection between coral and how it protects us from destroying the coaster in a hurricane. All that's coming up, so stay with us. Having fun? Yeah, I'm going to key up my own pretty soon. Me too. Good night, Kia guy. Good night. Murfreesboro, 
We're here whether you're ready or not. Welcome in, everybody. We're in a new place. We are always at new places here at the Nashville Zoo, the Coral Conservation Lab. And we have Chad Cogburn, the lead aquatics keeper here at the Nashville Zoo. Jim, I didn't even know you had this place. Do, do people get to come in and visit this place? It's a behind-the-scenes tour that we have. So the public can't come into this area, but we do offer tours back here, and Chad um, helps to describe what the Coral Conservation Lab is all about. Um, and that's kind of why we have him here, is wanted to ask him some questions about what the heck is this? But I wanted to start, Chad, what is coral? So coral are, um, I like to refer to them as uh, plant rock animals, uh, specifically with uh, the hard corals like we have, or the stony corals like we have behind us. And so uh, they're rocks because they actually create the skeleton that they're on using nutrients from the water. So uh, they would absorb the alkalinity and calcium and stuff like that to kind of grow, which uh, gives them that structure that they have their life tissue sitting on. Right. Uh, and they're also animals because uh, we do feed these guys. Right. Um, they, uh, they are carnivorous. Uh, some of them, uh, you may not know it, but they have mouths. So. They, they are capable of actually consuming foods, uh, but they're also plants because they do have a uh, photosynthetic uh, algae called zooxanthellae that lives inside of them that gives them the pigmentation, but it also provides with about 80% of the uh, dietary needs of corals, uh, and it gets that through photosynthesis. Gotcha. And, and just to clarify, when you're talking about a coral, you know, people think of this round shape, might look like a brain or something like that. That is actually made up of thousands of coral polyps. Correct, uh, yeah. Every time you're looking at a coral, unless it's uh, very small or the polyp is very large, you're typically looking at a colony. Okay. So everything behind us is actually uh, uh, several colonies uh, that, are, that consist of many polyps. And talk to us a little bit about this lab. What it, why is it here? What's, what's our purpose? So our purpose uh, in 2014, a disease was coming through the uh, Florida Reef Tract. It was first found in Port St. Lucie of Florida. Yeah. And uh, it was wiping out, uh, or it was, it was providing a lot of harm to, uh, to these corals. Uh, we didn't really know how to stop it. So uh, Florida reached out to the AZA network, the state of Florida did. And in 2019, they kind of put out like a, a call for help. And so we decided to uh, get involved with the program. What is the importance of coral? What, what do they mean to our ecosystem? So corals, uh, specifically the Florida Reef Tract, it is the second largest reef tract in the world, second to the Great Barrier Reef out in, in Australia. And I so, have no idea. Uh, it's a bank reef that really slows down uh, storms. Uh, you know, if you're going to have a hurricane or something like that, these reefs are capable of kind of like breaking it up. Uh, so, you know, with marinas, they've got barriers that are designed to, like, absorb waves. Uh, reefs do some, something very similar. And so it also allows for a ton of genetic diversity when it comes to uh, sport fishing and uh, different aquatic life. Uh, coral reefs only take up, make up a very small amount of the ocean, but they host so much diversity uh, 
because of the way that they're structured. Uh, you know, there's tons of food there. You know, the ocean is mostly open ocean, whereas these reefs, they, they just have this so much life going on there. Yeah, think of it like a, um, think of it almost like a, a, a rainforest underwater, right? It's, it's, wow. a, it's, a, it's a concentrated host of, of living community that's in a, a certain area, and the, and the coral, coral reef system is, is the foundation for it. They're the ones that build the rock, the, the foundation that all of these animals live within. It's like the Bucky's of the underwater world. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's yeah. got everything. Yeah. It's, that's a, it's an interesting way to put it, but yes, yeah. Just for all y'all that are like me going, oh, it's like a Bucky's. Okay, <laughs> open ocean, and then you find it, and then all and the, the reefs, little sea life. Are the like, reefs are in yeah. trouble, Yeah. right, because there's, there's disease that are coming in. Um, so Nashville Zoo stepped up to be able to come in and do what? So we are a broodstock holding facility. So what we did is when we joined the program, we said that uh, we would be more than happy to host these corals here. Uh, we're not a part of the breeding program. Uh, I do know that we are hoping to join it one day, um, but we, we're holding broodstock here. So that, and uh, what that means is uh, we're holding adult corals here and we're giving them the best care that we can. And eventually we will be trading with other institutions, particularly the ones down in Florida to, uh, have these guys spawn sexually and reintroduce their spawn back into the wild. So that's the, the, the overall goal is to eventually return these back to where they were before or? Mostly to return the spawn back out there. Okay. So we don't know if these, uh, these corals were pulled, uh, the ones here were pulled before the disease came through. Mm -hmm. And so we don't know how susceptible they are to the disease. So we're hoping that with uh, the sexual spawning, you're increasing the genetic diversity to where we can release these back in there where they would hopefully wouldn't have to deal with the disease, but if they would, be able to survive it. Right, right. So it's like an arc that we've created for coral. Yeah, to kind of protect them from the disease. Mm -hmm. I had no idea that, I mean, I understand they're kind of plant, they're kind of animal. I understand their exoskeleton is on the outside. It's, it's on, you know, it's that thing and the, the living creatures inside, but how can you tell if they're girls and boys? I mean, are they, you know, because if you're going to breed them, I mean, how do you tell male and female, or, or is that even a thing? Well, uh, I don't have as much experience with that. I do know that there are male and female corals out there, mm -hmm. uh, but as far as telling them outside of the spawning season, you can tell whenever the spawning is happening, you can visually see whether it's releasing oh, okay. either sperm or eggs. Mm -hmm. uh, there are corals that are capable of releasing both sperm and egg. So some of the polyps may be male, some of the polyps may be female, but they're all a part of the same colony. Right, again, consider like a, if you're looking at a piece of coral, consider that it's a colony of coral polyps okay. that okay, may gotcha. have different sexes on that colony. Wow, that is incredible. And they, and they build um, a community, a place for other animals to live as well. Yeah, it's a very important ecosystem uh, that's in trouble. How did you get involved in coral conservation? Well, it's kind of luck of the draw, honestly. Mm -hmm. uh, when I first started after graduating from Tennessee Tech, uh, I, I was working with the state, working with uh, freshwater endangered mussels. Okay. Uh, some that were all the way on the critically endangered side, some of them that were uh, more on the common side, we were still trying to, uh, to get everything kind of figured out. 
so I started there, I learned water chemistry, uh, I got really good at it, and then a position opened up here. So I actually started as the water chemist, and as, as time progressed, I, I stuck my neck out as much as I could to, uh, to kind of absorb everything. Uh, I'm very ocean motivated. Uh, I, my goal is to live near the coast to, to even get to do something with these corals out in the wild. I know the thought of working with oceanic cre creatures inland is kind of an interesting thing that we even have that opportunity. I love that we have that at the Nashville Zoo. Yeah, there are uh, a part of this program, there's not a lot of them that are actually inland. Uh, we are the only host inside of Tennessee, which is kind of cool. Even with all of our uh, aquariums and stuff that we have, we're the only ones that does that. I, I yeah. love that. Specifically the Florida reef track corals. There are uh, places like uh, the Tennessee Aquarium that does have reefs, but it's not going to be a part of this program. If someone takes a trip to Florida, can they go out and see the reefs, or are they, are they cordoned off now where people can No, they can them? go out there and they can see them. Uh, okay. They can either dive or uh, scuba dive, or, sorry, scuba dive or snorkel, uh, do all that other kind of stuff, because uh, that does help contribute to uh, kind of funding programs like this. Okay. Chad, thank you for your time today. That's not a problem. Well, we will going to take a little break, and when we come back, we're going to take some questions from our viewers. You guys have been so awesome to send in some questions. A lot of people want to know all sorts of things. And we'll have that coming up, but we're going to check in with our sponsors, Kia of Murfreesboro and Advertising Solutions. Stay with us. Having fun? Yeah, I'm going to keep my own pretty soon. Me too. Good night, Kia guy. Good night. Murfreesboro, we're here whether you're ready or not. I love when we have animals in. I love it. And Arlen is with us. Good to meet you. Good to meet you guys too. Thank you for having me. Arlie, what is this crawling in my head? <laughs> so this is Sumac and she is one of our Ambassador Eastern Box Turtles. So eastern box turtles are a subspecies of box turtles found throughout all of the eastern United States, um, from all the way up in Maine, all the way down to Florida, and even as far out west as Texas. Now, um, a lot of people don't know this, but these guys are threatened, are they not? They are considered a vulnerable species, um, and the main threats that can actually hit these guys are things like habitat loss, uh, being hit by cars on the road, and even the pet trade. I was going to ask, there was a time when 
having a box turtle, you could go to a pet store and just buy a box turtle. Or, you know, people, you know, my dad would hunt and he would find a turtle and would bring a yeah. turtle home, you know, for yeah. us. Yeah. Since they are a native species, they can be found pretty much throughout all of this state here. But in Tennessee, it is actually illegal to have a, a box turtle as a pet. Um, since they are a protected species, we just don't want people to just be able to own one um, like it's nothing. So. Right, right. And there's a difference to um, and, and these beautiful turtles. Can we turn where, where the camera can see this beautiful shell on it? Yeah. They're very different. The alligator snapping turtle, um, people will go, and I tried to move one of those off the road, was not a pleasant experience. Yeah. Just, just letting you know they have a very long neck and they <laughs> look very, very different. Yes. They don't have, their shells are not as pretty. Yes. The box turtle has a really pretty shell. Yes. Um, and if you turn it sideways, can you turn it where the, the camera can see? Yes. Now, this is the one that was in the race with the hair. I'm going to yeah. tell you, this one won the race because they're not she did. No, you can see that nothing stops her. So box turtles are actually characterized by that high dome uh, uh -huh. carapace, which is this top portion of the shell. Um, and they get their name box turtle because of the hinged plastron, which is the bottom portion of the shell. As you can see, it kind of hinges a little bit. Yeah. So it allows them to kind of enclose themselves uh, kind of like in a box. When they lay eggs, are they the leathery eggs that you hear about with turtles? Are they the leathery ones? Um, I think they're okay. a little bit softer, but typically mm -hmm. they lay about two to eight eggs uh, per season. So it's not very many eggs. Um, and because of that, that's why it's so important to understand their nesting sites and any potential disease, diseases that could hit those young populations. And Devin, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the zoo is actually <laughs> studying box turtles yes. here on site. So if you're at the zoo, um, you may see a box turtle on the pathway or just off the pathway, and you might see that that box turtle has a number on it or a series of numbers and letters. We're tracking all of these. It may also have like a tracking device on it because we're doing some research to try to figure out what their range is, um, where they travel to, how many are on grounds and whatnot. Are you familiar with that program? Yeah. Tell so, me a little bit more about that. Yeah. Our, uh, our, the Nashville Zoo's ectotherm staff actually does a really cool conservation project on grounds using telemetry technology, which is like a little radio transmitter that they put on their shelves whenever they find any uh, box turtles on grounds. They're able to better understand their population sizes and numbers. They're, they've found some nesting sites um, and, again, diseases that could hit the population. So it helps to be able um, to help the populations grow and, and succeed over time. Right. And they, and they know which ones are males and which ones are females, and they can use that to determine are the males w moving from range to range, do the females have a range, all different kinds of information. Exactly. Are you my mama? <laughs> She's like, I want some food. Speaking of, what do they eat? What do you feed them? Yeah, these guys are pretty opportunistic omnivores, so they can eat a wide variety of plants, mushrooms, fruits, and insects. I know that Sumac personally loves her earthworms. She loves munching uh, on her earthworms. And who doesn't, really? I mean, right, yeah. don't we all? Yeah, no. They get a little bit more mature. They're able to move on to more, uh, a more vegetarian herb, we'll, herbivore diet. 
Will you connect her with a mate here because you're in the mm -hmm. conservation program? Mm -hmm. um, she currently is housed with a male. Uh, his name is Squirt. He's really cute. Um, but we <laughs> Squirt and Sumac. I love yes. it. Yes. And then we have a hickory as well. We have three eastern box turtles. Mm -hmm. um, currently, we, are, we don't have any breeding plans underway for them right now, but... Who's to say that we won't Never in the know. future? Exactly. Coming up on Valentine's Day. Exactly. You know. <laughs> what is turtle courtship like? Oh, gosh. Um, That's awkward. <laughs> yeah. Awkward. Well, we, we have a couple of uh, other box turtles who we've, like, tried to put together to see if they um, can meet. Um, and they kind of just stack on top of each other. They take the, it slow. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I just walked in one day and I saw them on top of each other and I was like, okay, cool. That, wow. That's what's happening. Yeah, it takes a while to lift them up and yeah. shell. It must be super hard <laughs> with the shell, too. I can only imagine. Yeah. That, I, bet. I, I just wondered what their courtship was like. If, and, and do males and females have different colors, like birds have the, the males are brighter, whatever? Yeah, how do you tell the difference? Mm -hmm. So, typically, um, Males have different tails, so I, I believe their tails are a bit shorter and, and thicker, and then the females have a bit of longer um, and, and thinner tails. Um, and also the way that their toes curve can also be an indicator of males versus females. I have heard that their eye color. Their eye color as well, yeah. Males tend to have the reddish eyes or orangish, and then females tend to have more brown eyes. Gotcha. So, yeah, she's got like reddish brownish eyes. Wow. I bet you hear this all the time, but um, it, it seems like you have just the coolest job in the world. It is. Tell me a little bit about how you got started. Yeah, so I am one of the ambassador animal keepers here at the Nashville Zoo, so um, that means that I work with a variety of animals. It's not just carnivores, not just reptiles. Um, so we have carnivores, reptiles, mammals, a couple of amphibians even in our department. Um, and I started as a biology major in college, as most of us did. Um, and then I started by interning here at the Nashville Zoo right out of college. And then I continued to volunteer after my internship ended. And I was just lucky enough that I was kept and continue to be here. Um, and I love it. It's such a rewarding job. I really do love it. Well, we're happy to have you. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you, you're fantastic. This is really this is really fun. I, I know. I'm scared of most of the animals that I have gotten to meet. I will be quite honest with you, you know. But this one, turtle is the totem, and I love this. I mean, How this one is so special. How could you not love sumac? Well, I know the ambassador animals are the first ones you usually find on our Instagram pages. Yes. Because they've got such good personalities. Arlie, you do too. This has been Thank really <laughs> wonderful to meet you. Um, we do have a question from one of our viewers okay. named Mark, and Mark wanted to know, when you've got a really big animal and mm -hmm. they need to come here to the hospital, mm -hmm. right? How do you transport a big animal that to is get a, them around? That is a great question. So um, we have transport um, vehicles, much like you'd transport a horse or something else, that we can get them into. Usually, they're corralled into these um, into these carriers. Then they're brought to one area of the hospital and they're unloaded into a corridor. And the corridor actually has a wall that moves that kind of pushes them down this hallway and into another area. And at that point, we can immobilize them, give them a tranquilizer, put them to sleep. And when we put them to sleep, we put them to sleep in a harness that's supported by a hoist. And the hoist sits on a rail. And so once they're immobilized, they're hanging in kind of a, a 
like a stretcher almost, mm -hmm. and you can then wheel them from this lift into a treatment room and onto a table where they can then treat them. And then they do the same thing as they lift them off and they put them into a stall where they will wake up again and usually the stall is um, where they will recuperate and then they're led back out the same way onto the trailer and back onto the exhibit. Great question. Um, yeah, Mark's maybe... from Pulaski, Tennessee, and, and, uh, and reads our Pulaski Citizen newspaper. And so he was like, how do they move those big animals around? Because he saw our rhino uh, episode. We yeah. should do an episode where we take you back there and kind of show you how that works and have the, the, that kind of walk through that process. It's, it's, it's one of the more fascinating things I find about this hospital is that system itself that's in place. And um, Mrs. Cannon, she's from Rutherford County, and she's a teacher. And she wrote in and said, how do we get people from the Nashville Zoo to come to our schools? Do you go to schools with the, with the ambassador animals? Yeah, so we often do lots of off-grounds programs as well. Um, I've been to retirement homes before. So different facilities sometimes reach out to us and want us to come and teach them about our animals. And we, we do do that as well. So yep. it's always an option. Yeah, just reach out. Come yeah. Go to our website. Um, go to the education section for there. And there should be some information about um, us coming to visit you. Yeah. It should be pretty straightforward. The ambassador animals especially, those are the ones that I like to think of as the celebrities of our collection at the zoo because they're the ones that are going out to schools and you know, other programs off ground. You might get to meet Sumac in person. That's right. You can ask for Sumac at your next school auditorium visit. Thank you guys for being with us and thank you for our sponsors, Kia of Murfreesboro and Advertising Solutions. And thank you and all of our friends who watch our shows here at Main Street Media of Tennessee. God bless you. Have a great rest of your day.